Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Are you calling to the Lord in the same way? Joel is about fires. Have we enjoyed some fires this past summer? Have you been smelling some fires this past summer? Extraordinary ones, really. I think the worst Canada has ever had. But it's more than just fires that have made our life kind of crazy. We got to deal with the deal with the uh, the air quality. What other fires have you endured or are frightened of or can't seem to put out? It's been a crazy couple of years here. Maybe it was, do you remember COVID? That was insane, right? Lighting the world on fire, right? Feels like the end of the world as a, uh, a uh, pandemic is everywhere and we're all, I mean, it was nuts, right? This country absolutely divided all the time in a way I really have not seen. I guess I'm getting older. I've never thought I'd say this actually, but I guess I'm old enough to say I've never seen it like this before, but it's nuts. I think it's worse. It's as bad as is pre-Civil War. I think that's how hot and toxic and divided this country is, even the West in a lot of ways, but especially the U.S. is crazy. And you just feel the tension. We feel tension. You feel tension in this country all the time, even if you shouldn't have it in your lives and your friends. It just seems more tense than 10 years ago. And that could be for a lot of reasons. And it was a year and a half ago, suddenly nuclear war became a reality. I mean, there's all kinds of fires that are very dangerous, that seem global. And it seems like things are kind of falling apart. You feel like that? That things are falling apart. You could say that every generation has thought that, by the way, that these are the worst times. But there's something going on. And you know, you don't need to think globally or nationally. I think we get in danger when we do that because there's people that have been feeling like that for years in their own local life. A divorce, uh, an abuse, a death, poverty, racism. You know, everyone might have their personal end of the world fires, experiences that they deal with. I think that's important to remember. What do we do with this? 
this broken world, these frightening times, the fires in Canada. We should try to fix them. Absolutely. I think it's wrong to be like, well, that's how it is, a sign of the times. We should try to, Jesus tells us, love our neighbor. You don't need to interpret things. You should serve your neighbor, love your neighbor, fix problems around you, help people for sure. Volunteer with the Canadian fire, fire department. But in a big cosmic way, have you noticed that even after you fix something, it breaks again? That nothing quite stays perfect? That there's always another fire to put out? What does that mean? Repent is what that means. When calamities happen, when great events that seem insurmountable happen, when something terrible happens, even to something, somebody far away, earthquakes or disaster, Jesus says, don't worry about what you think they're doing wrong, repent. Because these are reminders of what? That all things end, period. You're insane actually not to actually know that. <laughs> all things end. And if you haven't noticed, everything in the end is held accountable. Joel had a similar time. He was living probably the 8th century in uh, Judah, and much like the fires of Canada, Judah was suffering, seems to be a great famine and some fires. So a heat, a famine, um, a desert situation, um, a drought, and uh, actually talks about it in chapter 1. Like I said, leave here today, read Joel 1 through 3. And you see him talking about this, right? Uh, talks about locusts coming. The cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts is eaten. When the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts is eaten. And what the hopping locusts left after they came, the destroying locusts came. So apparently these locusts are destroying all the farms, all the grain. There's a terrible lack of food. People are going hungry. There's not even food or drink for the offerings in the temple, he talks about. And then he says this, Awake, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Doesn't mean people who drink beer are okay, by the way. And also doesn't mean you can't drink wine. The point is, wake up. Things are terrible. Maybe they're not for you personally, by the way. I think that means this too. But look around you. Wake up. People are suffering. Don't ignore it. What's the answer to this little national problem, this crisis? Joel says, repent. Put on sackcloth and laments, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar, whether you are powerful or a leader, or small and weak and poor. All people, Joel says, repent. He doesn't give a solution. You know what Joel does too? He doesn't actually tell them exactly what they're doing wrong like the other prophets do. But just in general, repent. Look to the Lord. And look what he says here, too. He does this. So he tells them to repent in terms of when there's a problem in their national world to this famine, this current famine, repent. 
But then he says this, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, congregation, get people together, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And then he says this, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty it comes. So Joel takes them from seeing uh, their current situation to recognize it, to repent and look to the Lord for help for the current situation. But he directs them to see if you think this is tough, the day the Lord is coming. Repent. It's sort of a little picture of the reality that all things will end. Even after maybe you pray to God and this famine will go away, or this illness will go away, or this relationship will be healed. Praise God. We should pray for those things, those temporary things. But ultimately, all these troubles that we see, wars and rumors and wars, fires, etc., are signs and points us to something that is going to happen and is inescapable. The end, the day of the Lord. And that is what Joel is pointing them to, the people of Judah, to repent before. You can't get away with it. You can't escape. You can't hide forever. You can't pretend it away. These terrible things that happen wake us up to stop pretending everything's fine in our own personal lives, by the way. And notice what Joel doesn't say, he doesn't talk about, and God doesn't talk about, blame it on them. And those people are wrong. You repent. What does that mean? Joel talks about it like this. Let's think about this. What does it mean to repent? What does he mean uh, by this? In chapter 2, see we're already on chapter 2, we only have one more chapter and we're done. Verse 12, Joel says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. So don't make some superficial like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, you're kind of fake crying, maybe throwing some water in your eyes, you know, before God. But like, think about this. Return to the Lord. I like that language. So remove that word repent. Let's not think about that. He doesn't ever say it. He says, return to the Lord your God. What does that look like? It's not this simple, or maybe not simple, but actually hard to do. He doesn't say, fix your life perfectly. He doesn't say, remove all sins, whatever they are, and then you'll be good. It's a general return to the Lord your God. Like the focus isn't on making a catalog of everything you're doing wrong and fixing it. Not that that's, that's healthy, but that's not what this is. This is bigger than that. And I actually think, what I like about this is I think we can get lost on the details. Not that they're not important, they are important. But they don't come first on exactly this morality, on this way of doing things, or whatever that might be, and not get this bigger picture 
this call of what repentance actually looks like or returning to the Lord looks like. And I would say it looks like this, recognizing you're not God. You're not God. You don't actually know exactly what right and wrong is. You are not the one making the rules for the universe or your own life. Your creation. You're not God. God is God. Returning to the Lord is returning to that order that exists, whether you like it or not. You can pretend it doesn't exist, but you'll go crashing because you're not God, no matter how many times you think you are. Return to the Lord is, He's God, I am not. Therefore, what does He think about me, about my actions, about what right and wrong is? Returning to the Lord your God is treating Him as God and not yourself. And what I, what I think is important about that is to be a part of St. James, to be part of the church, it might not be getting all your life just right. Everyone might be in different areas of cleaning up their life or fixing or recognizing sin. I'm not asking everybody to be on the exact same page in their life. But return to the Lord. Let Him be in charge of what right and wrong is, what truth is. And we are on a journey of figuring that out, not in the middle of nowhere, but through His Word, it's very clear. And understanding that and seeing that play out in your life, that takes time. Is this, you understand this? Returning to the Lord your God is a principled God's God, I am not. What does he have to say about me and about truth? And I want to figure that out and let that guide me and not me guide me. If we could all just do that, that is actually, and that's a journey that we're on. And over time, we realize these things under God. Oh, what that, what I'm doing there is wrong. Or we'll understand it over time or see how it plays out in different aspects of our life. That's what it is. And it's an attitude, right? What does he say? Fasting with weeping with mourning. He doesn't say again, remove all sin, perfect your life. Actually, it begins with, I stink. This world's busted. It's a wokeness and a reality of a history of who you are and how we treat one another. What? And why? Return to the Lord your God. Look at verse 13, chapter 12. For he is gracious and merciful. So it's not angry God is telling you to straighten out your life and return to him. I don't want to return to him. He's going to smack me. Some of us might have life experiences like this. But what's the promise? Like a smack you. Return. Why? He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That sounds like someone you shouldn't be afraid to return to. No vengeance, no probationary period, no distrust. Oh, you left me, now you're coming back. Well, we'll see, right? 
You put your own friends on those kind of relationships, don't you? Or spouses, etc. God doesn't. He is slow to anger, He is gracious, and He is merciful. You come back, it's like you never left. And Jesus talks about it in the prodigal son, right? For both of them. Loves it. Doesn't hold it against you. That's why He can say return. It's in love and mercy, and we don't need to be afraid to return. I would love not only for people to hear that in the world, in our community, but I would love it if people could see that regarding St. James. That we're not here to keep people under the law or to get angry at people or whatever, but that when they meet us, they meet a God who's merciful and loving and loves to see people he hasn't seen for a long time. So Joel talks about this amazing, gracious God, and he calls the people to return. Why? Because the end of the world is coming, the day of the Lord is coming, so return. Because at some point you're not going to be able to, quite frankly, is what he's saying. Joel says this like all the prophets do, till finally there's a prophet named John the Baptizer, the last of all prophets. He's the last one. He has the same message. God is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Repent, right? And so he's baptizing everybody. They're repenting. And sure enough, God came just like he said. And he was gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love in Jesus. This is pretty shocking. I think it was shocking to John as he's scaring everybody about, you better straighten your life up. You better repent. God is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And it comes, and it's Jesus who gets baptized with everybody else. And in terms of the day of the Lord, think about this. The day of the Lord is described as terrible and awesome. It is described as judgment day. It's a common phrase in all the prophets. The day of the Lord is coming. The last days are now, but the day of the Lord is this, the end. Jesus comes, and just like it says, is merciful and gracious, he hangs out with the weak and the hurting and the broken and doesn't break them more, or throw more law on them, but forgives, loves, and lifts up until finally he is lifted up. And when he is lifted up, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, John chapter 16. And what happens, according to Matthew, when Jesus is raised up on the cross? It's described in Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. When Christ dies, right, it goes dark for three hours. There's earthquakes. And this merciful God yells out, why have you forsaken me? And I submit to you 
that in Christ, in a sense, the day of the Lord, judgment day, has happened, and it came not upon you, but upon his Son. And I'm saying that because he received the punishment and the wrath instead of us. He received the end, and in him we escape it. And it's just like this, the fires of Canada. They, uh, the best way to put out a fire is to start a fire, to burn the land around it, right? In fact, you wouldn't have fires if people didn't have other smaller fires to burn all the bad wood and all that sort of stuff that usually catches fire like that. That's why you have major forest fires. It's not fresh wood, it's just a sudden amount of dead wood that was never burned. And to stop a major fire, you want to burn all sorts of areas around that fire so when then it spreads, there's nothing for it to burn and eventually it dies out. That's how a fire dies. No fuel. Christ is that final fire upon him. And in baptism, Paul says, you are united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. You died to sin. In baptism, the fire comes upon you. Your sins are paid for by the blood of Jesus. You stand now on already burnt ground in Christ who took the fire for you. Does that make sense? You stand in the last day in Jesus Christ. You stand in the end times in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says you're free from the law. Do you know that? You're free from it. Why? Because you've died. The fire's gone over. So to be in Christ, you're not afraid of the last day of wrath because it's already been received by Jesus. You are freed from it, and you can look forward to a last day that is coming. But you will not be consumed by it. You've already been consumed in Jesus. And now we look forward to a day just as Jesus says, and as Joel says, where all nations will stream to Israel, it's happening right now. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. There is no nation of Israel. There's no temple that we're waiting to be built. It has happened in Jesus Christ. He is the end and the beginning. And you are standing in the end and the beginning in Jesus, not tomorrow, but now. And therefore, not afraid of the wrath of God or of the day of the Lord, but looking forward to it, the end of Satan, the end of death, of fear, of wars and fires. What a glorious day that's going to be, and it will be, and you will see it with resurrected eyes and hug your loved ones again with resurrected arms on the day of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.